Boom, and we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and correct from the beautiful Smith River up here in the great state of Jefferson. So blessed to be here in this magical land where we I kiss the ground every morning as the, uh, the azure waters of the Smith River run behind my house and uh, at the farm here. Uh, and it is winter coming. Wow, I just looked, I was telling Bear before we started, I just looked at the, uh, at the weather for the next 10 days and it's like in the 40s every day here which is which is not normal even though we're in december uh we we typically are more in the 50s and even 60s so we are looking at snow i heard up to even 20 inches in the sierras uh exciting for us skiers snowboarder uh aficionados so uh very excited um about uh winter actually i one of my favorite times of the year get a buckle down read some books go skiing and celebrate uh the holy days so um very excited uh we do have the event coming up on the winter solstice the 17th to the 21st if you haven't heard about it you've heard about it now it is the event featuring dr bear lando myself i'll be hosting that with josh del soul and alex zek from health freedom for humanity as well as devin Vrana from the big idea we've got rfa rfk jr to kelly brogan to uh sayer g uh uh huge names over i think there's like 80 speakers now lined up for this thing it's uh it's going to be a huge global event, uh, live streaming from the 17th to the 21st. I think we've got something like 60, 70 talks. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, so I'm very excited about it. I've been recording all week, uh, recording with Mandy Jacob later today. If you guys aren't familiar with her, wow, uh, Bear, she's in Ventura, where our other bit of operations is. And she is a fantastic, wonderful person. I'm looking forward to that. A bit of a mystic. She's taken on Ventura County uh, with the masks and stuff in the court and winning left and right. She's a, has a direct line to God and using that <laughs> in the law. So just fantastic stuff all around. It's just an exciting time to be alive. And uh, for anyone who's interested in more information on that, go to alphavedic.com forward slash the event. Uh, and Bear was recently on with um, on one radio network. We posted that uh, interview. Check it out. I just listened to it, Bear. It was really fun. Uh, I really love that guy, Timponi. Uh, you guys have a great rapport. And uh, if you want like a really good Bear Lando hour of just like Bear unrefined just who he is and what he talks about wow that is a great interview uh and that is on our telegram and on our patreon um and speaking of patreon you can support us there at patreon.com forward slash alpha vedic okay uh today we are so excited one of my favorite people to listen to really michael juan is in the house uh he is just a uh, an amazing storyteller and someone with such a massive breadth of knowledge that um, this conversation is going to go places, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, here's a great quote. The human experience is a mystery wrapped in a horror story, saturated with tells, reveals, and the sublime. Michael Wan. Uh, there is a pattern to life. If one can find this pattern, they can manipulate it, appearing to have magical powers. With consciousness, genetic memory, and time, life cycles can be seen. Patterns have been introduced into our consciousness to generate a particular pattern put there by secret societies or the invisible college. Michael Wan is an anomaly. Despite being raised in America's most celebrated, quote-unquote, planned community and large-scale social engineering experiment, the Rockefeller-funded Columbia, Maryland, um, and uh, he has been able to create an authentic and original expression of life, 
uh, and that's in Columbia, Maryland. Correct, Michael? That's Columbia, Maryland. Did yeah. I say all that sort of stuff? Damn, that sounded good. Uh, well, considering <laughs> your expertise in astrology, uh, it is fitting to look at Michael through the lens of his own astrology. Michael is a researcher and storyteller extraordinaire, focusing his ability to read the hidden on you through your natal chart, revealing the beauty of your cosmic story. His, audience, his audiences find him light, fun, philosophical, and immensely creative with strong communication skills into the collective subconscious and the universal. So we're going to go deep into both the destructive and transformative qualities of the subconscious today. Uh, I'd love to touch on rewilding consciousness. I think that is a fantastic concept that we need to go deep into more as it seems our consciousness is being stratified by, uh, uh, by the simulacrum that is forced around us these days. Uh, but Bear Lando, how, uh, how are you doing? And I'm really excited for this one today. Yeah, uh, really, really uh, happy to meet you, Michael. And, you know, I was just listening to the one you did recently on the metaverse and really enjoyed that. You know, it really... Um, caught my attention and, and when I really started resonating with you is when you were, you know, talking about patterns and, you know, I was trained in, in my medical upbringing to always try to zone in on that singular diagnosis. And uh, after a little experience, I realized, wow, that doesn't even exist. In fact, it's stupid and it doesn't work, you know, in clinical practice. So I, I refused. So I started looking elsewhere and, you know, one of the tools I employed uh, is astrology. Uh, you know, now I'm not an astrologer like you, but I did uh, study enough and use it to this day where uh, the portion I use, I, I like to think of it more as astrophysiology. And, uh, you know, I look at people, their residents, not just with their, you know, their birth charts and things, but, you know, how that relates to how the, the larger bodies, uh, you know, microcosm down into our own physiology. And so anyway, that's a whole discussion, Mike, we, we have to do a whole thing on that someday in-house. But, um, you know, it's just like, okay, this is awesome. We're going to talk about the patterns because, you know, everything that we see going on today, you just can't, even in the truth community, they get kind of, you know, uh, just kind of a, a little bit myopic as far as tuning into one little thing rather than stepping back and saying, okay, what's really going on here? So really, uh, really looking forward to that. And uh, I'd like to get into some of the concepts you put out in your, your recent uh, interview that uh, you did with yourself, I guess, uh, about the metaverse. And um so, you know, maybe, uh, you know, our audience always likes to kind of relate on a personal level to who we're talking to. A lot of people know you already, but for those that don't, maybe you could tell us how a guy from a, growing up in a planned Rockefeller community turns into be an astrologer and as eclectically uh, deep in so many things as you are. Uh that, that's a good question. I'm wondering how deep I, I, I should go with that. And, and so, um, well, first off, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to meet you both for different reasons. Like, I, as we said, like patterns and, and our point of reference, you know, unless you want to go the path where you want to get rid of any sort of individuality, and I suppose that's a fine path, but, you know, that path hasn't found me. Like, we look for patterns that connect to ourselves. So when I see Mike and we got the same name and the same initials and all of that, I'm like, ooh, I don't know what that pattern is, but we see that. And when I see you, Bear, <laughs> like, I'm looking at, because we got the Zoom screen, so I could see my face on Zoom and I see your face on Zoom beneath it. And I'm like, we kind of look like twins in a weird way. <laughs> 
yeah. hats and our beards and like just general sort of body type. So, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited for this multi uh, way of connecting with, with both of you and to hear this conversation and to go where this conversation uh, or to see where this conversation goes. I'm excited. So that being said, let's go. And, and all the listeners, anyone who's listening at home, you know, I'm grateful for that uh, because you know, sometimes it's nice when someone's listening to you talk to. <laughs> uh, but that being said, you asked the question, how, how did, uh, you know, nice little softball question, how, how do I end up where I'm, I'm sitting? Uh, having come from a, a, um, a very, very regimented uh, system of upbringing and arguably all of the system, you know, most of the systems in, in, I'm American focused, I was born in, in the United States, but the systems are, are regimented regardless of what that would be. Like I didn't grow up and go through like the, the, the Exeter boarding school program, but that's a program or like, you know, there's so many different things. So I went through, through uh, a particular one, Columbia, Maryland, which only th what I say about it is not written on their brochures or website, but just you know a natural conclusion based upon studying people and where the money is and all that sort of stuff. Um, and and this all and this also goes back uh, where I'm going to go with this is this idea, and I'm still stuck on it. And I don't think I got into it in the video. Is meta like because meta has so many definitions of a word, and this idea of meta being self-reflective. Like, you know, the meta, how meta, like when something's self-reflective. And so it would only make sense that maybe going through a system, which I did, that I would be able, which was so regimented that I would be able to kind of like break out of it because if it wasn't so regimented or, 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 or controlled or contrived, whatever word we want to use, it wasn't so controlled as much as it was contrived. Uh, that I would be able to kind of to to see the writing on the wall. Um, I was well served by culture, you know, like, you know, as I was a likable, intelligent, um, all of this, all of the things which people have, which are valued in our system. And so when you're valued by the system in the uh it reinforces more and more of that. And so I went to school and I was like in a fraternity and I got like a good job in technology, like in the very early days of the internet. And then like, I walked away from it all. I walked away from it all at age 30, uh, not completely. So I left the technology and, and I still living in DC at the time. And I, I worked a little bit for an architect and then I moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, probably best known by folks who aren't familiar with it as uh, is, is the, the highest concentration of, of Amish in North America. I'm not Amish, if you can't tell by, by, by now. Um, but that, that journey kept on, on unfolding. And what, what the journey was, was just stripping away all of the things that were expected of me and valued. And not even with a plan, like, you know, that was a natural just occurrence. I listened to the things that it captured my intelligence, that captured my interest. And I started doing things that felt like I naturally wanted to do. And I started doing less and less of things that were expected of me. And, and you know, I'm still in that path. 
And I don't even know what that path is. And it certainly has frustrated a lot of people, myself included at times, but that's what's brought me to, to really where I'll add this one other thing. So then also going through the process of, of a divorce about five years ago, my, my wife was really what kept me in a lot of ways connected with a more mainstream lifestyle. But once that disappeared, uh, that kind of allowed allowed my kite to soar in places it hadn't before. And again, like I'm not saying it's always been fun. It's always been a smart decision, but it's been my path. And, and I think that's that's what I, I, there are two things which I try to do right now is, is I try to tell stories which I know, and I can only know the stories which I've lived. And I do it not necessarily to, to indicate that, that I am a man of insight as much as I think I'm a man of storytelling. But if anything else, uh, what I hope to be is a man of inspiration. And that inspiration is for people to apply a higher um, amount of acuity and resolution in looking at their own lives and 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 seeing the the beauty in the mundane and like questioning like how you got here and like you know what are your decision making processes and and you you mentioned this before the subconscious and really and really accepting the fact that we have a blind spot and not necessarily trying to solve that blind spot, but recognizing that's part of the human experience is that we don't know. And, you know, um, I'm starting to believe that maybe what we do out here has nothing to do with our path in the first place. And, uh, you know, if it makes you feel any better, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I just kind of get up and, uh, you know, do the same thing over again and things just unfold and any plans that I've ever made, they maybe might be somewhat in the ballpark sometimes, but usually I end up doing something totally different that ends up we being way better in the first place. I, I think that's one of the things which really interests me is, and, and maybe the... Maybe the question is a little bit shaped, but this is how I shaped it, is, is identifying like, how are humans supposed to be? And maybe a better way of saying this, like what is the natural way of what being human is? What's our natural expression? And I think our natural expression is what you're just describing. Like planning's important a little bit, but like flexibility is too, like that dance. And so, so yeah, like, uh, uh, there was a time where I was very, very committed to uh, artistic, creative um, expression. And so I, I did a bunch of shows and I was in some galleries and stuff like that. And this was after I walked away from like a career in technology where everyone I knew was like, how, why, what are you going to do walking? Like, how are you going to support yourself? Like, I don't know. And then I started making art. They're like, <laughs> you can't make art. You didn't go to school. And I started making art. It was really good stuff. And I started getting into shows and, and, you know, win and winning contests and all that sort of stuff. And then one day I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And people are like, what? You can't quit this. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna. And then I just started doing something else. And so, so the reason I'm sharing that is I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, just kind of following where we're interested in. And it's seemingly, if, if you're not trying to get there in the quickest, shortest path, well, then you know what? Well, then it's going to be a fun walk there. And I think that should be honored. Or at least exactly. Recognized. 
Well, and, and what we're talking about here, what I bring up a lot, Michael, is this idea of we're all on our own hero's journey. And really a great analogy is Homer's Odyssey. Nothing was planned out there. It was just like one um, kind of debacle and, and kind of uh, uh, conflict to, to overcome uh, after the other, right? And we can plan for uh, meeting up with, uh, uh, you know, God knows what um, in terms of the mythical monster <laughs> around the corner. But in the end, it's like uh, you got to just figure it out in the, on the fly. And I think that's something like we're talking about in this event that's coming up is like having that ability, that flexibility, that agileness and, and the confidence in your own abilities to do that, to really succeed in life so that you can realize, hey, you're your own hero. Like wake up and be stoked on life because this is like your own story that you are, get to live in. You said this a couple moments ago about the exciting, the excitement about being alive right now. And if there's ever, at least in my lifetime, if there's ever been a time where, where that advice, which you just, you just said of like, you know, plans don't matter. Meeting with whatever comes up is, is applicable. It's now, yeah. it's not like, like that. It's like, that's not like a nicety for the small 1% who wants to be a mystic and travel the back roads. Like, no, this could very well be the strategy necessary to navigate what, what, what society is doing to itself or, or someone's doing to our society. Society, however you want to go and look at that yeah and so, so mike go, go ahead bear now you finish well, well no i was just going to move on to the this idea because you brought it up uh, in previous stuff about rewilding consciousness um is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit there or what's what is that notion really in your mind so so okay so the rewilding first off is like rewilding is a is a general terminology like i i've got a bunch of friends who are in the world of permaculture and and uh, natural ecosystems, so I'm familiar with their language, and so I borrowed this concept of rewilding, which is allowing nature to be the way nature wants to be, as opposed to the shaping of it or minimalizing the shaping. Um, it is my the, where I sit right now, the conclusion I'm at, and it, you know, who knows, maybe it'll change in the future, but right now this is where, where I am, is recognizing how much of our, our experience begins by the worldview that was given to us, you know, uh, garbage in, garbage out sort of stuff. And really looking at this is one way I talked about like you know being in Columbia Maryland and these very very contrived types of cultures and educations and you know I'm a I'm a pop culture aficionado or at least I was at some point in my life um but recognizing how everything is is shaping you know my vision of what I think life is but the biggest question is we don't know what life is we don't know where we are how we got here what we're supposed to do the biggest questions are mysteries <laughs> we're just told to like you got to figure out what your career and what your life path is and like that but we're not going to talk about the big stuff but the point I'm trying to make is everything seems to fall within the shaping of of what is to be expected in your life um and the rewilding consciousness, I'm going to define consciousness, and I think it's important to define words, not necessarily to say it's the right way or wrong way, but just so you know what I mean when I say this word. Consciousness to me is this, uh, or I'm going to, it has two parts. It has your inner world and it's the outer world and it's the dance between the two and how they feed 
off of one another. And so when I say consciousness, I mean all of those parts. Rewilding consciousness is the purposeful act of taking your awareness outside of anything which has been programmed and just allowing you to put this amazingly uh, powerful focal device of mind. You know, we can study anything. You know, you're going to study just as hard for uh, if you're going to learn the periodic tables as you could learn baseball statistics, as you could learn, you know, uh, uh, your lover's tendencies. Like all, we, we can do that with anything. And to take that consciousness and apply it as far out of the system, but as far out of uh, the system, but while still being in material reality. And that's not to say that there isn't things outside of material reality, but using material reality as our um, as the border, because once you go in outside of material reality, well, then that's a whole nother ball of wax. I want to stay on that that point. But going there, applying my awareness, my intelligence, my my focus, uh, studying things with as little definition and naming as possible for the sole purpose of by knowing that whatever I put my awareness to, I link up with it. That's the nature of being human. Whatever you put your awareness to, you are going to develop a relationship and you're going to begin to, to have life from that. And I want to go as far out of the system, but have it as real as can with the trust that somehow that will take like all this stuff, which I don't even know I'm carrying, but begin to rewild on, on that level. And to me, that deals with, with, earth stuff and star stuff beautiful yeah and i i think uh the predicament like maybe the eastern half of our uh, planet we'll say is uh maybe didn't develop to its fullest because it was always achieving outer body experiences and and that was the main goal and then of course we're the other extreme here where it's manifestation in the physical at all costs and what i've uh, discovered in my own studies is that uh, the real purpose is to get a vocabulary and practical, you know, ways of applying what you are downloading from other realms. And so that's, uh, you know, even in, in medicine, it was like that, okay, I know the vocabulary. So now I can be still go into those other states and then just understand what I'm getting. Cause now I have a translation tool, uh, right. you know, you've right. chosen astrology, and I think astrology is amazingly spectacular as far as doing the same thing. Only, unfortunately, most people think it's about reading your horoscope. You know, when it comes to the physical body, uh, I use it as a way to, you know, again, understand, uh, you know, certain resonance that's happening, you know, between the two worlds. And then, okay, how can we use that as a practical tool? Now, you've done uh, uh, gone into it way deeper. And I don't even know how to frame this as a question, but is there anything you can share as far as, you know, how it's a real practical endeavor and how people might, uh, you know, benefit by just understanding some basic concepts? Well, uh, th and thank you for that question. Because um, I, I, I like to talk about astrology. And I think my, my approach is, is less common or, or, or unique. 
Um, first off, I would I and and I love how you you talk about vocabulary and and I mentioned defining words. It's for we got to use words until we can go and 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 not use words. Uh, we need to. And one of the most important things we can do is define the words because the most important words, in my opinion, in in the English language are those that have the most amount of nuance. And because they have nuance, there's no uniform definition. So that's why like I, like consciousness being one of those words. So, so I love that, I love that. So, okay, so let's, let's talk about astrology from Mike's perspective for a little bit. First off, I think astrology is the birthright of every human being. And what I mean by that is, and I question everything. Like I accept like the stuff I can't like prove wrong or whatever. Like I, I, I still know like, well, I'm, I'm accepting this even though I don't know if it's factual or not. And so I, a lot of history, like I'll go with that. I don't got better history, but I just know that they've lied to me in the past. So why do I think this is true? But nonetheless, so let's assume like, you know, history is true and timelines are true. Like, I don't care like when you've lived. I don't care if you lived in a city or if you lived in a HUD, if you lived in any of these things. Um, it is the most basic human uh, experience to walk outside of where you live and to look up at the heavens and ask for like, give me a sign, give me some insight. What am I to do? How am I here? Like, to, because we don't have those answers and there is nothing bigger and more universal than looking up at the heavens. And so when I say astrology is, is, is the, is the human's birthright. That's what I mean is to go and to look and to, to ask questions while looking up and, and wanting to garner a reflection back. Uh, I question like what all, like what's a star, what's a planet. I question how they got there. I don't have answers, but I just do know I have questions. Um, and there is, when we begin to look at the heavens and we begin to have a vocabulary of the heavens, being able to identify things and name them and so forth, uh, we begin a relationship on that level. Uh, and that level is just defined as this to me. Uh, it's the stuff we're underneath of. I don't know if we're a simulation. I don't know if the Anunnaki made us. I don't know if God made us in seven days. <laughs> All I can say for certainty, like I like those stories and some of those stories I like more than others. What I can say for certain is I could see those white dots and I can identify them. They're somewhat predictable. So, all right. So because of that, and because the human being is, is unlimited in their creativity and in their intelligence and their ability to make connections. Like as soon as I hear from the mainstream sources, like when you start making connections, like, well, you know, it is the human, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, the brain just naturally wants to see, see patterns. I'm like, well, that's a yeah. pretty good indication that you should be looking for fucking product patterns because your system is naturally <laughs> meant to look for it. It's like, you're naturally made to walk. So stop squirming on the ground, snake boy. <laughs> so, okay. So we have this amazing capability of, of what we'll call intellect and all of these levels of intellect and to apply it to the heavens. There's nothing that could be more spectacular than that. And so because of that, there are infinite ways, infinite ways which the heavens give information. And to me, the more we can understand what the logic of why we think it gives us information, the more true it seems to become. Like one of the things which I found so interesting, this goes more so to to like uh, like more like horoscope or natal chart type of astrology is the difference between um, 
people who follow a, a tropical chart and a sidereal chart. And don't worry if you don't worry if you don't know what those words mean. All that means is that with the same birth date, you're going to have di a different a different chart. Your so your your planets will be in different are going to be in different signs and. That always rubbed me the wrong way because you want to know which is the right one. And I started listening to people who were very knowledgeable. People have spent out years of their lives studying a particular line of astrology. And they've all come to the same conclusion, which is more or less the same thing if you talk to any uh, lifelong Christian or Jew or Muslim. And what they've come to realize is that they're right. And so when you realize that they're all right, well, then the truth of the matter seems to be like it's not limited to that. It's going to give you it's going to give you accurate information. So all of that said, all of that said, that's my preface. Where I am with astrology right now is what I call objective astrology. And that is in the most practical way is becoming familiar with what your heaven's landscape looks like. So that literally means walking out your front door, being able to know when I'm looking south, being able to identify the ecliptic, know where the eastern horizon is, the western horizon, and then being able to see the ecliptic. None of this stuff is hard. And then being able to recognize then this, this is what's cool, is if you know your own natal chart, this is what your natal chart is. Your natal chart is the snapshot of the heavens at the moment you were born. We don't know nothing. We know nothing about the human experience. But what we can say is there's no, there's no other experience more drastic than when you went from living inside of someone to no longer living inside of someone. That's universal and that's drastic. And we don't know what earth is. We don't know where earth is. We don't know anything. But what we can say for certain is like, well, all of those moving things in the sky that are in constant motion, this is what it was when I went through my most drastic moment. So that is the most solid link which we have to the environment in which we are having our mysterious life experience. And to me, that that is the definition of significance. And so once you become familiar with that, not as an abstract idea, not as like, oh, my son's in Sagittarius and my Mercury's in Capricorn. It's like, okay, well, the sun was located right here when I was born. And this is when that, that was without needing to go to a story, because I can go to the story, but I'm choosing not to do the story, but to becoming, and this is the rewilding consciousness. This is like, I know that this is my, this is what the heavens are. And no matter what time of day or where I am on the earth, when I'm looking at the heavens like this, that part of the sky, I always have a certain connection because of this. And being comfortable with that and being using like all of my intellect just to become aware of that and identifying where things are, uh, what planets are in real time right now. That to me is how I practice astrology right now. And it is a practice without a expectation of a result or, or a specific result. The result which I'm expecting is that my mind is deepening its connection with that level of reality. And I'm bringing a trust to that because I've eliminated the trust to all the other stuff. And this is all I got left. And so I sit with it until there's something which is more real, more tangible or better information. And that to me is my step stones as when I move through, moving through my own life and what is being offered, you know, what, what, what we have access to. You know, here on the farm, it's, it's not really about um, being mathematically 
precise as far as uh, you know when you plant something or or you know what chart you're following or anything. It's really not a mental endeavor. But what you are doing is acknowledging that there's stuff up there. Mm-hmm. You realize there is some kind of tangible link. I'm I'm kind of convinced that between what I'm growing and with myself. And when I kind of look at myself as an intermediary, you know, because I'm, you know, my whole goal is to grow things. Um, you know, it just seems to work better when my consciousness is acknowledging that there's a, a, con, a conducive resonance between us all if we all pay attention to each other. That's exactly what I meant by uh, the, the, um, the recognition that you don't need to really understand it and, and the natural and what is the, what is the way of being human? What you just described is recognizing that we can make connections and whatever we're going to be making connections to, it just flows. And that is the truth. And it doesn't matter what you're going to go and make those connections to, whether that's a religion or whether that's a technology or whether that's anything. It's like wherever you put your attention, like the the more creative you can be with it and the more playful and the more artistic that's, uh, you know, that's those are going to be the 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 results. And half the fun is seeing how that shows itself. And of course, the predicament we're in now is they've deliberately taking the art away from science. Oh, yeah. I mean, arguably that happened when they when when they separated astrology from astronomy. Is is or that was part of it. And 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 this is the thing which I think is cool, because like I can definitely uh, I can get conspiracy. I got a Ph.D. in conspiracy theory. Like, you know, I've put the amount of <laughs> hours studying conspiracies on the deepest levels, like from like uh which would probably equate to someone who went and got a, a PhD. You know, I had that type of, of, of exposure, but at the end of the day, like I love the idea and this is a choice. You know, I think belief is so important and the most, and the important thing is recognizing what belief is and then deciding how you're going to use it. And because it doesn't mean that there's a problem with belief, but I choose the belief, which is like all of, all of the thing, which we're experiencing right now Ultimately, the, the the purpose of it is for us to recognize the stuff we never would have recognized to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I use that as the example of Colum- growing up in Columbia, Maryland in the beginning. Like, I think I'm really good at being able to recognize convoluted control from behind the scene is because I had it so badly. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, we, we often say that in the mainstream science, they've separated spirit and magic from science, but really deep down, they haven't. Look at CERN, look at what they're actually doing, look at, and with the actual real like physical science they're really doing, they're still all attached to the occulted symbology and magic. They've just made it seem like that. Um, and, you know, going back to um, uh, Francis Bacon, and the original um, progenitors of science, they were mystics, basically. Oh, with, so. <laughs> with, 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 without a doubt. I mean, that's where uh, I began with the, what I call the Susquehanna mystery. I started sharing that, that, that research about four or five years ago. And all that begins with, with Francis Bacon. I mean, one of the, the Francis Bacon is, if you're not familiar with Francis Bacon, he, 
the, the best analogy, and whether this is an analogy, what I'm about to say, or an accurate description of life, I don't know, but it could, it could possibly work both ways. But Francis Bacon is seemingly the name of a major OS upgrade, like in the way that Apple names their OS upgrades. Oh, like yeah. that's what <laughs> it changed everything. It changed language. It changed religion. It changed science. It changed uh, uh, North America. It changed everything. And when you see that, just that, this is a thing which, which uh, I go on a, a show with someone else who really understands, um, uh, has a very, very uh, negative perspective of who Francis Bacon is as a character in our history. And I get that. But Ooh, I'd like to I'd like to go into this, Michael, because we get this a lot, and we're big fans of the Ascended Masters teaching Saint Germain, and there's a theories that Saint Germain might have actually incorporated the entity of who, who Francis Bacon is, and then you get this whole notion that this is the deep Masonic darkness of where we led to now, and so yeah, go with this, brother. So, so this I love is, this stuff. If if you're going to go and and apply your consciousness in this area, and I think it is like there is it's kind of old fashioned where you would hear you don't want to go and look at the esoteric or the occult that it's dangerous there. And we've gotten to the point where like, oh, that's just that's that's ridiculous. But I think there is a truth to that. There is a danger there in the fact that you're going to go and bring your consciousness to some really, really deep stuff. And if you are not prepared for it, it's like it's it's you, you don't know what's going to happen. So if you're going to bring your consciousness to these areas, you should um, you should be, in my opinion, of being of spending time there is uh, it, it's not so simple. It's not so simple. And the whole um, uncertainty principle, like you mentioned uh, uh, in, in, in a little while ago about Eastern and Western perspectives, um, you know, and, and, and I like to take from both sides, you know, it's, oh, there's something to learn from right here. So it's, it's the, this Eastern like uncertainty and like non-committal and like the, the detachment really, I think is helpful in going in these dark esoteric stuff because you're going to find exactly the, the old adage is like what you're looking for, you're going to find because you're going to find you're going to find all of the evidence to suggest that Francis Bacon is the worst of the worst. And you're going to find all of the evidence to suggest that he's the best of the best or you're just going to be like, well, I don't know. But this is my favorite thing about the Francis Bacon um, uh, story. And I just like to use the word story just to be kind of nebulous. And it is that. Francis Bacon, he, um, his approach, his approach, and it comes from one of the Psalms. I'm not particularly knowledgeable of, 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 of the, the Bible, but the Psalm says something along the lines of, um, it is God's joy to hide the treasure, and it is the king's joy to find the treasure. Mm -hmm. And he brought that approach to the mystery of life which is like, it is the discovery practice. Like, yes, it's hidden for you. And for the people who does the hiding, like if you have children, if you've ever celebrated Christmas, there's a real joy of hiding presents. Like, you know, when they're four years old uh, on Christmas Eve. And if that was a spoiler for anyone, like I apologize, you should have moved past that. Um, <laughs> and there's a joy of finding that. And there's a joy of like, when you realize like, oh, hold on, this is just a scam. Um, but but I think that's the truth. And I, I like to think of 
Francis Bacon, my experience has been that, that yes, there's a whole bunch of stuff, which is like, wow, this is disharmonious. Like I like to, rather than good or bad, I like to think about harmonious and life affirming and life destructive. And it is my understanding that there is both life affirming and destructive in life, but overall we're more about expanding than we are like the death falls back into more expansion as opposed to total collapse. Um, and so we see with, with Francis Bacon and his works, like, yes, there is a lot of stuff which is uh, disharmonious, but maybe it's bringing us somewhere. And what is that bringing us to is a greater understanding of the nature of what it means to be human being with the sky above our head and earth underneath our feet. Because the biggest mystery is where am I? How did I get here? What am I supposed to do? And so my, my sense is it fits in, like as our vocabulary gets better, like that's the whole idea behind the scientific method to begin with is to be able to, to have a better understanding of the workings. That be, let me say one more thing and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause because I want to hear what both of you have to say. Yeah. So I had, as I indicated, I studied, I studied conspiracy theory. I studied psychology with a particular emphasis on hypnosis and subconsciousness and like neuro-linguistic programs, like real practical sort of stuff, um, esotericism, magic. There was this 10 year period in my life where I just studied all of that and I would vary. And like, and, and so my view definitely takes in consideration all of those things. So four years ago or five years ago, when I began on the Susquehanna mystery, um, what happened and how this began was, as I said, I went through a divorce and part of the effects of the divorce was I became free in a way which I was never free before. And what I mean by that mostly is in my thinking and what I could talk about, because a lot of my, my thoughts make people uncomfortable because they just, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, is when that divorce happened, I moved to a small town in Pennsylvania, which I said I'd never moved to, but life brought me there. And I found myself there and it was a difficult time, like regardless of whether I was ready for a divorce or not, it was still a difficult time. And that is when this Susquehanna mystery began. And it just began with a curiosity as to what is this river, which is up 500 feet away from my apartment. And it is from that river that I uncovered a, uh, through historical documents dating right back to Francis Bacon, all of these like undeniable things. And the most specific is the fact that in the John Smith map of Virginia, so this John Smith being the leader of Jamestown, Jamestown being the first English colony in the new world, in that map, there is a reversed 40 uh, for their, their latitudinal markers. There's a 37, there's a 38, there's a 39, 40, and 41. 40 isn't just reversed, it's mirrored. And because I know so much about conspiracy and I knew so much about magical practices, I knew mirroring was rather significant, but I knew nothing about parallels. And I knew nothing like that. And when I went to go see where in, re in reality, in material reality, was the Susquehanna River and the 40th parallel, it was literally where I was sitting. It was literally oh, where wow. I was sitting. Like I was at 40 degrees, zero minutes, and maybe like 20 seconds. Like uh, I was right there. And the point I'm trying to make with this, the point I'm trying to make with this is um, there's a, con that my, 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 
my consciousness somehow creates this. Like, you know, whether you say my consciousness knew that was there and I, I prepared myself so that when I would see that, or just the very fact of the matter is like, I've been really into conspiracy and consciousness and like I was wide open emotionally. And this is just how reality works. And you got this great mystery. I don't know the why. I just know that it did happen and it happens more and more and more. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause right now and just say like, this is like part of the, the why I do the rewilding of consciousness because I see stuff like that. I've seen mm-hmm. stuff like that happen in my life and I am unbelievably curious and optimistic and joyful when I think about the mystery of what it means to be hum- a human being and Francis Bacon one way or the other ties very deeply into where we are right now. Couldn't agree more. And, I'm gonna uh, let Bear go first because I know we're big fans of of all this. So, and then I've got a really weird theory. Go ahead, Bear. All right, I'd love to hear it. Go on, Bear. I was just gonna add a side note that was kind of curious because I've delved a lot into legal law and all that kind of stuff. And Francis Bacon actually figures prominently in there. I've, I've seen He's some one pretty of the good most evidence. Prominent legal minds in the modern world. <laughs> he was know. the Attorney General before he became the Lord Chancellor. Yeah. So, so I've seen pretty good evidence that King James commissioned him as the only intellect possible within his court to rewrite the King James Bible because his whole intention was to have greater commercial control over his subjects. Um, Francis Bacon did that for him. And what he also did at the same time was to put in the Bible code, which is, of course, what Many Christians uh, think, you know, well, that's evidence that, um, you know, as far as the source of the Bible writings, but it was actually this uh, Francis Bacon or maybe even possibly uh, an ascended master if he in fact shares a persona with St. Germain or any of these other characters. So, yeah, like I've 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 come to. I've come to very, very, you know, the, the same sort of all fingers point to that, that the way I understood it specifically was he was the final editor. So there were, I think, 39 different editors of the books of the Bible, which became the King James Bible. And then they sat with him for three years and he did, he was the final editor, the 40th editor, um, not only with the Bible code he added, but also filled with other Rosicrucian and steganography type of, of hidden information. He, that, that Bible was released, I believe, was it 1609? I believe is the first printing of the King James Bible. So as this was happening, he was also, uh, King James oversaw, he gave a royal charter to a group of merchants, the merchant class, to go and um, colonize the new world. And there, that was a for-profit company, and they had a board of directors, and Francis Bacon sat on that board of directors, and he wrote their, their charters, like he's on that level. And then John Smith was, uh, the story of John Smith is so ridiculous, but anyway, we want to, it's fascinating, but so the story of John Smith is he comes back in 16, uh, 1610. So Jamestown was established in 1607. This is all overlapping perfectly. This is King James Bible, the establishment of the new world. Uh, uh, John Smith goes over. I'm under the, uh, I'm under the, the openness. I'm not saying this is the case in, in, American legalese, John Doe is a placeholder name for someone whose name we don't know. In the British legal system, it's John Smith. 
So John Smith goes over like, you know, to, 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 to uh, Jamestown. He comes back with all of these notes to make this map, which is the John Smith map of Virginia, the, the map I made reference to. It's, he comes back, he's the leader of Jamestown. Of course, he's gonna go and sit with the head of the executive council. Of course, he's gonna sit with Francis Bacon. Two years after the release of the, of the King James Bible is when the John Smith map of Virginia was released. My sense is whether or not it's Francis Bacon directly or he just oversaw some of the fine like steganography details. I don't know, but all all signs point right there. Like, you know, it's a very, very tight and easy to follow storyline and timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's so crazy how one man has his hands in so many things. And it almost, so I've been really playing a lot with this Tartaria concept and, and, and the reality and the reality system we're in and how uh, elastic it is. And, and it's a great point in your own life and all of our own lives, how where we put our consciousness kind of fits us into the puzzle of, of history and everything. And what you're talking about with the mystery of the Susquehanna, which why the, by the way, Michael was the first river I ever fished on when I was a little kid, because my mom grew up in Binghamton, New York. And, um, I uh, would go out there every summer and mostly did lake bass fishing in Pennsylvania across the border. But the first time I ever threw a rod into a river was the Susquehanna there in Binghamton. Funny side note. Right at big, they call that Big Bend where the river yep. does a big turn right there, right yep. in, in Binghamton. I'm very familiar with it. So yep. so please go on, Mike. Uh, with your- Okay. So the, the idea of, of Bacon being much more than a man, being a thought construct or some sort of progenitor of the simulation, and that this is a, a restructuring of reality that happens every four or 500 years. This, a lot of people say it's a 400-year reset. And that if you start to look into uh, Jamestown and uh, a lot of the new world, it's it's only a certain few individuals that were really responsible for the technology, supposedly to tr- to cross over. You know, John D is another big character out of that time. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking John D Rockefeller guys. I'm talking John D, who is the double, original 007, if you will. Um, and something we've never really talked about on the show, Bear, but uh, another character in history who is just really fascinating um but 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 the idea here that maybe a lot of this quote-unquote history was actually and i don't know how the reality works i don't know how the simulation works but that these are actually and i don't know if these are divine angels that are doing this or this is literally some sort of um arconic deception i don't know because the duality plays out in a way that's fun and it's no evil in the end or no good it's just is but maybe this Francis Bacon um, uh, entity or thought form or whatever it is, play it, the, the, this type of individual or type of thought creation comes out every time that we initiate the new cycle. And so right now we could be going into that new cycle where we're going to have the new Francis Bacon and what Steiner would call, you know, we might even talk about Aramon here, but um and so um, we have this interplay of the duality with Francis Bacon, right? When you read New Atlantis, it's like some mind-blowingly cool stuff, but also some like kind of creepy, really dark stuff in it. So um, I don't know. Maybe this is how the reality interplays with um, uh, history and that it rewrites itself through these type of characters. Well, I'll, I'll, I... I... 
I'm completely on the same page with you and, and particularly about the asking the questions, like seeing like enough things to be like, all right, let me pose some questions. And I mean, that, that's the whole idea of scientific method is like, let me have a question. Let me have a hypothesis. I'm not tied to it. I don't have to be right. I'm not getting funding money. So I have like, you know, it's not, but I'm going to come up with a point, just a friggin' question. Yes. And then I test it. And then I, I have a point of reference. I move forward. So I, I think that's the best way to do this. Uh, what I have discovered, this could have, maybe it's got nothing to do with it. Maybe it does. I don't know. But the FB and the Francis Bacon and the BF and the Ben Franklin, I've always found really, really kind of significant, you know, because within my, within my, uh, my research, I see that Francis Bacon and Ben Franklin, they, they, they keep on bumping up against one another. Uh, but then when you then add in Facebook and FB into that one as well, like it kind of fits into, <laughs> you know, a little bit more of what you're suggesting and how it keeps showing itself over and over again. Like maybe there's just initials, who knows? Sometimes a broken clock's a broken clock. Uh, but I... I think all of those those points you brought up are very, very fair questions to look at, um, particularly now or to pose when looking at reality. You brought up Tataria. I mean, I certainly have some thoughts on that. You brought yeah. up John D. Uh, you made an indication that he's different than John D. Rockefeller. The more I learned about John D. and John D. Rockefeller, I came to the opposite conclusion. I came to realize they're the same person. <laughs> but maybe oh, wow. I'm wrong. But nonetheless, but John D., like looking at that that person and how much influence he has on our current culture like it's crazy crazy it's never changed yeah and it, know, uh, i was just going to say one thing up too i love about francis bacon is that he kind of counters mathematics and and the and he's really into the observation and actually kind of counters copernican models and the idea of uh with the jesuit models of the globe and everything and maybe this has to do with the greater realm that we're in and in hiding what other lands are past whether you go flat earth or not uh you know uh what's past antarctica or what's out there more and maybe there is a specific reason why keeping us in this specific bubble so Lots to unpack there. Yeah, go ahead, Bear. No, I was just going to say, I think the uh, problem we have is we're always trying to think in timelines. And, you know, we get into uh, a different kind of physics discussion a lot on our show where we're, you know, actually describing how timelines are created and, in fact, their perception. So, of course, the more and then, of course, the Bible says the end of time, which I don't believe means the end of everything. It's just the end of the concept of time. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there's going to be adepts like Francis Bacon that are traveling back and forth and appearing, reappearing, uh, changing the future, the past. And, you know, I, I think we really have to, like you're saying, rewild our our concepts about what time is in the first place. And it's probably going to answer a lot of questions. I'm kind of got a lot of that stuff on the tip of my tongue already. And, and it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't stretch my imagination, you know, with some of the things we're all talking about here. Well, I, 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 I love how you, you bring up time and, and time is in my opinion, like it's, it's one of the primary tools of consciousness that links us to a, a linear look at events. 
I mean, I know I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. It's like, I always, I have an internal understanding, a very accurate internal understanding of what time it is. And there was once upon a punch of time that, um, like I looked at that as a real good thing. Like I always know what time it is in the same way. I always, I have a really strong sense of direction. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, I am so linked up on the timeline. I'm so linked up that I always know what time it is. I don't even need to have a watch. And so, you know, what is that doing within my own consciousness and, and limitations of like, I loved how you point out, like, you know, what happens when you step outside of those constructs and it's a completely different world. The end of time does not necessarily mean the end of it all. It just means the end of following time or limited by time. Leaving father time, <laughs> leaving our father and, and stepping out right into onto our own as the way uh, growing up from being the child that's under father time in a way. Right. Certainly. Yeah, a lot of us are experiencing uh, routine glitches in the matrix these days. <laughs> and I think everything we're talking about explains, uh, you know, as far as why things don't seem to add up with our old mindsets. Uh, there, there's, there's so much weird stuff going on right now. And I, I mean, I know where I'm sitting and I'm curious what you guys have to say. Like I've, I've come up with probably like four or five really, really strange things. And I've always been a guy who's looking for strange things. So it's like, you know, I fulfilled the prop of self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to find what you're looking for. So I'm always looking for strange things, but I've had some strange things that have occurred recently, which, um, which, which are very strange. And I am, I am resisting, I'm resisting my, uh, as badly as I want to, uh, define why or what's happening. Um, and just sitting with the fact that, okay, something weird's happening and this sort of weird stuff wasn't happening before. Are you also seeing that in your regular life? Like just strange things that are, and what would be, could you share an example? I suppose. Uh, for, you know, for myself, I live in a different lifestyle here and um, I see more animals than I do humans on any given day, a lot of big animals. And uh, there seems to be uh, a real definitive communication where they're always on the spot whenever I happen to be thinking of something. Uh, when, uh, you know, just name any situation, they're always there. And then you even get eye contact sometimes. And there's, you know, definitely that intelligence where they are aware that, you know, I'm here to teach you something. Of course, you default back to old animal medicine and those archetypes that each of the animals portray, you know, definitely tell you a different story. So my life is more about just, uh, you know, observing and I, I have the benefit of walking around in different surroundings. So uh, I'm in a, a different communication uh, resonance than most people because I'm not around the electronics and I'm growing things and I'm, you know, just uh, animals. I mean, just magically, they always show up at the exact time where you're thinking about something, you're, you have a question about something and boom, they're there with the answer. I, I don't know if that relates at <laughs> no, all. I, lo I, I, I love that. Animals to me are, are, are one of our, the, you can't really fake it unless it's really well-trained or it's a, or it's a fake, really good fake. Like, you know, that's where you're going to get real information from, from that mm -hmm. realm. 
Yeah. And, and for me, it's been weather, uh, this year, I've been playing a lot with Orgone and, and, uh, Wilhelm Reich type, um, technology, but even before that, well, around that time when we started putting in the pipes in the ground and all that stuff and the tower busters out, um, I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a volunteer firefighter and, um, a lot of times this summer was coming up, oh, it's going to be another, like, you know, possible drought and really bad fire late into the fall. And I said, no guys, intuitively I'm feeling heavy rain coming in, uh, September and October. And they're like, there's nothing, nothing snow. We're, we're moving away from that. We're going into, you know, the global cha- uh, you know, change of the climate where everything's going to be dry. I said, guy, I was telling my fellow firefighters who are all normies and, you know, don't really get this. I'm like, intuitively, I'm telling you, dude, we're going to get a deluge and boom, we got like one of the wettest months we've had in a long time in October. And it was like, crazy crazy and they were like how did you know and i'm like i just intuitively felt it guys open up man like start feeling stuff so yeah i think as they say the veils are thinning right you hear that a lot um as we're right now so yeah some trippy stuff happening all around us all the time people like reich actually demonstrated that we have the capacity and the responsibility to manipulate the ethers and we're not just subject to them yeah yeah um i've been having a lot of stuff with like things missing and reappearing in in dramatic ways uh Uh, you brought up the animals Uh, i'll tell you uh i mean this could be nothing this could be nothing but i think it's kind of funny um so i live in a house with uh of other things there are four cats in the house and there's the most recent addition was a kitten which came into the house in September. And in the past two weeks, um, <laughs> the kitten starts nursing on me. I've been around, I, I know cats, <laughs> like, I'm not like a cat expert, but I know that cats have never nursed me before. And I wake up every morning <laughs> and this cat is nursing me. And I'm like, okay, well, why is the cat nursing me? It didn't nurse before. And like, just trying to be like logical and explanation. And then uh, I go over to my boy's house, my son's house, and they have a dog, a dog that I've known for a while. And this dog all of a sudden just won't stop licking my hands. And my, my boys are like, listen, like the dog doesn't do this to anyone else. And there's nothing on my hands. There's nothing like that. But, but, one, but I'm sharing this as just like one of the experiences like with domesticated animals, which, which, I, um, which, which I'm seeing. Like that's a very kind of like material. There seems to be something from my body, which is, which is a value to, to these domesticated animals. But then I've also had lots of weird bird interactions too, primarily owls. So um, I, love the, I love talking and looking and thinking about the, nat, the, the animal kingdom as feedback mechanisms. Um, that's oh yeah. Part of, my, part of my past couple months. Oh, you know, and it's something that weird happened to me with an animal. I was just remembering this. So um, Astro World, that whole weird thing that happened a couple of weeks ago, super dark and creepy. You know, the music festival, Michael, that happened. Mm-hmm. At, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I, yeah, oh, yeah. The Travis Scott stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm in some like conspiracy channels on Telegram, private ones, and we're sending all the, you know, the typical conspiracy darkness stuff. And so I'm kind of finally, I took a few days off from not looking at that. I'm like, okay, I'll finally see. I was like on Monday after the event, I'll finally see what this is all about. I'm ready for it. My soul, I got a little 
shell around my soul to look at this stuff. And then boom, I'm diving into it. And then boom, I hear this. Rah, rah. I'm like, what in the hell is that noise? I'm in my office right here. I look and there is a raven that landed right here cawing at me like really loud. I'm like, what are you doing, Raven? And I'm literally diving into the darkness of Astroworld. So I, I have to go outside. And um, I'm by bear. I live in a very, I'm out in the Six Rivers National Forest, basically surrounded by animals. But this was very odd. And it was like, it flew up onto our shed and was just like calling at me like mad. Like, why are you looking at that stuff? Until I finally came in, I turned it off and then it flew away. So, I mean, that is some weird, trippy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I think the animal kingdom, they're tapped into the ethers and know what's going on. And I think we, uh, the more aware we, uh, uh, we are about that, their universal conscious as each as a species, as Steiner would say, right? Like each animal family or kingdom has its own consciousness. They're here as a representation of the reality in a way that is unique and different and, and um, important for us to tap into as much as we can. So then let's let's switch let's move from from the animal kingdom and let's talk metaverse because that's kind of like the opposite side of the coin in a way like very in terms much of, uh, perfect. So where where, where do you want to begin? Um, on the Francis Bacon book metaverse, <laughs> that's the plan. Well, look, I had no idea Francis Bacon has a book called Metaverse. So, so no, no, I meant, I meant, uh, so the, the connection between Francis Bacon, fake book, because, and, and that the fact that Facebook is, that's the whole thing, right? Ah, 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 right. Yeah. And maybe that's the, that's the inversion of the new Atlantis, right? Is it's this, it's the simulacrum, if you will, this digital, digital reality of bringing people in to have whatever uh, whatever they want, their dreams, whatever you want in right, the metaverse, right? right? Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's a can, lot. Can of- I take a swing? Yeah, please. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so this is this, this. I put out this video, and the the nuts and the bolts of it are are this: um, the announcement of of fake book to meta. Is a is a significant marker in our in the uh, the main the mainstream storyline of humanity's relationship with the technological world. Like that's why it's important. It's not important like stock prices or anything like that. It's not important. It's like this is a marker. This is a marker. And so what metaverse is is um, if you could go back in time to like the mid '90s when internet first came out, when that word first began uh, to to work its way through the collective consciousness, there was a period of time in which people had to understand what the internet was. Like there was like, I don't quite understand. Do I like go to it? Is there a store? <laughs> is there an internet store? What size? You know, like, like, because it was outside. And, and this is a real interesting thing. This is when you know you're working with art, something artificial because you've got no point of reference. It's not human. You're like, I don't get it. Like, what is it? So the word metaverse is the same thing. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a mark by the, Facebook changing their name. It's a marker that the metaverse is, you know, this is coming in the same way in the early nineties, Mark, the internet was coming and all the metaverse is, 
is it is the next iteration of the technologies. For the most part, it's the next iteration of the technologies, which we already are familiar with. The internet, the technologies for the internet had already been around in the early 90s. There was already like TCIP, uh, DARPAnet technology. There was already like World Wide Web, HTTP, like, you know, saw, like all of that was already in existence. But it really wasn't until like the mid 90s when when cultural when anthropologists would say the, the, the age of the internet began. Well, That's until you had the uh, service providers start to make it so normies could uh, get into exactly. it. Exactly. Versus, like that's yeah. what AOL was. That's what all these things were. We're going to send you're so freaking stupid humanity. I'm going to send it in the mail to you and you're going to put it in your freaking computer. Like that's yeah. where we were. Yeah. And you so got like, now we look back and we laugh and all that sort of stuff. So the same thing's happening right now. So metaverse. So what is the metaverse? The metaverse is the next iteration of the technology. And it is the, um, imagine all of the technologies and all of the platforms that we have are seamlessly integrated, are seamlessly integrated. You're not going off one to the other. And, and as opposed of watching the, the technology on a screen, like right now I'm on a laptop, I'm looking at a screen, I'm separate. You're moving into more and more of an immersive technology and how we best understand it right now is the virtual, the virtual reality goggles and stuff like that, where we are inside of it or seemingly inside of it. So, so that's kind of the metaverse. And kind of um, a virtual meets aug augmented meets social media meets you know, the uh, internet of things. It, it's everything. It's, it's everything. Yeah. It's when they were talking, if we think about what they were saying, the internet was going to be in the early nineties. And then we look at what it was in the mid two thousands, we could see where it was close and we could see like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. So I'm assuming we can make those same assumptions right now. Like this is, this is the picture, which I have in my mind of the metaverse, which, which, is seemingly available right now. So, you know, you would come to, uh, you'd want to visit me like in the metaverse and I'm going to have a house in the metaverse. We're all going to have houses on the metaverse and it's going to be whatever I want the, the house to be like, oh, overlooking like, you know, a canyon or the ocean or something. And you're going to walk in and just like, like, let's say Instagram, you've got public Instagram or private Instagram. If I got public Instagram, I let you into my house and I've got a courtyard and all of my Instagram images are there on the walls. And if you like it, you could go into it and like, like it's all connected, seamless. Likewise, you're going to see other people who are in my courtyard as well. You might see my aunt. You'd be like, hey, you know, Mike, I know Mike. Oh, how do you know? Like, it's got all of this sort of stuff. And like, there's going to be, you could go to the Facebook building and look people up in the directory. Like it's going to be experiential from the goggles. Like it's all going to be connected. And and it's going to be kind of like cool. Like I'm describing it. Like you can imagine really cool, fun things about that. Of course. Uh, of course, like crack is cool. Like you get high and you're like on crack and you're feeling awesome. Like, you know, that, that's <laughs> in it. Like that is that. But but here's the thing. When you look at the bigger picture, it is unbelievably, it is the simplest. It is the simplest conclusion is that, you know, the metaverse marks the end of the human experience. Maybe not immediately, but where the metaverse will, will end up. I was on a show a couple of weeks ago with um, with a guy who said that over the Thanksgiving weekend, he was the host of uh, Brad from the Propaganda Report. He was saying he put on the top of the line, but off the shelf 
uh, VR goggles. So this is stuff which is commercially available. It's like top of the line stuff. Like, uh, you know, it costs money, but it's not like, you know, cutting edge, top secret sort of things. Yeah. And he said that he had an expectation that it was going to be spectacular. And he had an expectation that it was going to be kind of dangerous, but it blew his mind. He said, it was so good. And I was like, well, what did you see? And he said, I, I put on the goggles and I was on a balcony overlooking a waterfall and I was sitting down in this chair and there was a there was a, um, a tumbler with whiskey on the table next to me and he was like at, it, it was the most real amazing experience I ever had and I had to take it off as quickly as I could like you're, <laughs> you're not it's it's too good it's too good it's too good. It is, it, it, if you could just apply, think that one, that's where it is now. And two, apply that to any scenario that you want to experience. And then you add in Neuralink, you know, because all the, uh, or you're going to add in like a hectic suit where you could feel the pressure on your chest or like, you know, uh, it, it, the porn industry really drives the technology. So it's all of like, you know, your, uh, the genitalia stimulation. Um, it's, it, I don't know how quickly, but of course, we're going to end up like the Matrix, like in the Matrix and the fact that the human body is in a tub and it has no idea it's in a tub and it's having a complete reality, uh, which is happening in their head. Um, that's the conclusion. That is that is undoubtedly where we are going to go. That is that is there used to be an old adage that the first time you smoke crack, you're 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 hooked to life. I've never smoked crack. I talk about crack a lot, but 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 that turned out to be a lie. Like that turned out to be one of those like war on drugs like uh, fears. My sense is the technology of the coming metaverse is going to be so amazing that that is going to be a truth that the moment you have that in your system in your nervous system that no that life will feel empty in comparison um and i think that's going to be clear to people i think people are going to be lining up to go to it some people are not that may be a period of time but all of that all of that points to something else and points to well i can't do that that's not what happens for those folks who don't want that path. And then that to me opens up a whole new, a whole new doorway. And they've given us, we, we, for most people, we have two stories. You either are going to go the dystopian or smart city future, or you get to become a stone age farmer. But I don't think those are the only options. I don't think that at all. This is where the yeah. Tataria myth or the Tataria mm -hmm. history or the Tataria story comes into play. Um, and I think that it is through this, this, this obvious downfall and what I would imagine what a metaverse would do is going to be so focused upon destruction and death that it's going to collapse upon itself. Um, and in a way, Francis Bacon is the one that points it out. FB points that out yes. because you could see it. And How then about? you know, and what it does is it provides the barrier of where you know you don't want to go of where you know you do. Okay, I'm not going there. I know I don't want to go there. Um, so what else could there be? And when we begin to go and apply uh, creative thought, the workings of consciousness, magic, all of these things, the, the, the uh, working on the ethers, that is when we begin to go and fully maybe discover the potentiality of what it means to be in a human body with sky overhead and earth under our feet. And as you said, bear like, you know, and outside uh, and move past the end of time.
the age of time. Yeah, it sounds way too suspiciously like Steiner's eighth sphere to me. And uh, I'm, I choose not to go near it. And, you know, again, with all the, the cool things that are happening, all the organic technologies that through radiesthesia and, and what Mike describes with some of the, uh, the Reich technologies and things, hey, we're playing with the real deal. We don't have to go into a little room somewhere. I will, I will say this, we were playing around, um, with the VR stuff. Um, and it's fun. Like I was doing snowboarding on it and actually I got a little queasy cause I'm like, my kids were loving. It. I'm like, I got to sit down a little bit. I was feeling a little off. Um, it's fun. It's really cool. And I, I see just like any tool technology. If you, if you have the consciousness to rise above it and go in and enjoy it and use it for fun. Like I like video games. I play video games every now. And I don't really have a lot of time right now, but I think that's, really where we need to get to right it's like uh being virtuous and understanding consciousness and then like being able to uh enjoy that and then you're going to have the opium dens of back even back in francis bacon's day where people couldn't and they were uh, in the opium dens those going to be the metaverse dens like the metaverse thing and so um but i do think it i do think the metaverse could be like the stone age uh digital step towards pure consciousness of, of us being able to do a lot of what that's trying to do via digital psychic meeting in other realms, going to fantastical places and uh, opening up that consciousness. So people can realize I don't need the um, neural link. I can do it naturally through organic analog means. And with something I've stocked on this show since day one is I think we're moving in the end towards a new analog revolution using whether it's crystal tech or what, where we'll be literally looking into a magic ball like the magicians uh, back in the day and going into other realms and playing with these with this actual real technology while maybe a bifurcation of society does happen for a while where we we do see people that are stuck in those in the a sphere as steiner says so yeah it's it's a it's a wild ride and you do, know that. do we do we trust people like zuckerberg or anybody making these virtual reality games into not you know just sending uh little frequencies on carrier waves to really in engram uh, things into our consciousness mm -hmm. in the first place. I just say, yeah, it might be kind of cool. Maybe I can control it, but I, well, I just don't think it's wise to I, mess I, with I'm, I'm more extreme than you are, Mike, in terms of the scenario. My, my, the conclusion I reach, and again, like, I mean, this mm -hmm. is just the conclusion I reach. Uh, I, I, I think that as you describe that with intention and consciousness, you could go into the technology uh, I think that's a slippery slope. That's like, hey, I, agree. I, could, I could smoke a couple cigarettes, but I got a lot of will control. Uh, so I'm never going to get hooked. Well, uh, I could see a major bifurcation of society. I do. And, and I could see a great, the bifurcation being 85% people stuck going in that way because we've seen the, I mean, look at Twitter, look at any social media. It's like heart. You're like, man, is society just, we're like so dumbed down and just our priorities are like, you know, Kardashians and Monday night football and Cheetos and, and, and Budweiser. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that too, Michael, but as someone who works in technology and decentralization, also, mm -hmm. if we can just see that, like, there are people that are, that are trying that is to create. True. I'll agree with, yeah. I'll agree with, I'll agree with that. But here's the thing. I, I, I like to look one of the ways in which, in which I try to navigate 
my my waking reality is you know you know a tree by the fruit which it was produced but you also know the tree by by looking at who planted the seed and stuff like that and all of our technology all of the beginning technology the is is all a byproduct of the minds that were focused on how to ec economically kill as many people as yeah, possible. I was just going to say DARPA. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it comes from the military industrial complex, yep. you know, and yep. that, and so you can look at that, like from consciousness level and the actual act of creating the hardware of acquiring the raw materials and everything that, that comes along with that, whether that's moving people off of a particular part of land for the rights of those materials or the slave labor. Um, it is from that. And this is what I mean by my, my conclusion. And so this is where it gets really sticky because we're all, we're all vested because, you know, you, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, you know, that not everyone involved with technology is, is like a, is a DARPA, like death Tron. Um, <laughs> I, I used to, I, I used to work in the same bill. I don't know like what part of technology you're in, but I used to work in the building which housed May East, which is the largest, or at least in the time in the nineties was the largest exchange of all of the backbone carriers of, of the internet. There's May East and mm -hmm. May West, the metropolitan access exchange. Like I worked in that world. I know those people. I sometimes think like one of the reasons I understand technology so much from a level is because of my time spent there. But that's why to me, by looking at the technology itself and the model of pay to play, you know, we have an entire like pay to play model of life. You know, you got to pay your taxes, you got to pay this, you got to pay that. Um, and recognizing that that is still within that realm of, of, of reality. Uh, my, but I am 100% on on the same page of you when you said like crystal technology. I think every single yeah. thing which is done on technology is going to be able to do another way, which does not come with the same sort of limitations. Like quartz makes, quartz crystals make so much sense to me because quartz crystals are found on every corner of earth. Uh, mm -hmm. Many stones are only found here or there, but quartz crystals are everywhere. I don't think that there is like, you got to get that one thing, the one root, the one algae, the one crystal. No, I think that the human experience on earth is, is not designed in that scarcity model. It's designed like, yes. like oxygen. It's everywhere. Yep. Yeah, and that's, my, that, that's and, how I approach that. But but we're gonna see, right? We're gonna I see think, the, yeah, I think the biggest thing with technology is that is the top down structure, which yeah. is the economics and and the the I, I don't even I call I don't call them elites. We call them you know, whatever you want to call those individuals that are have been around for thousands of years pulling the strings, like that needs to collapse. And we, we need to go back to a sacred reality, right? Where we understand the sacred, where we understand who we are right, and why we're right. here. And then that technology is a proper tool that we can play with and have fun with. But as long as we're in this crazy um, psychopathic driven run casino world, um, yeah, then um, it's frightening as hell. But as a child of two boys who are growing up in that generation and I want them to be able to have experiences, I feel like if I can educate them enough to know you're going into the, a, a kind of a, just know the puppeteers behind us are creepy, yeah. but we can play in it. Let's see what it's all about. Let's not be in fear. Right. It's, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting time to have children. Cause I, I, <laughs> I, I, I 
it's not easy. It is not easy yeah. one way, like no matter what that, I think that is the, the one thing we, we can say for certain here. Here's a game I like to play with myself a lot. Um, what happens if all the, the, like whatever you want to call them, the psychopathic string pullers disappear tomorrow, like literally it's gone. Like, how does that play out? Like what, you know, what does that scenario look like? Like, do people still like, do I still go to when, when, when do people catch on when they see that there's no new programming on the news? When yeah, they yeah, see, yeah. Like, like, how does that work? Does someone say, I'm going to stop going to my job right now? Or like, how would that? And well, I don't know that. The mystery school people, like the Francis Bacons, or would they would say the profane, right? They call them, right. would be like rioting and killing each other. But I actually think people would probably go back to small communities. I think so, too. Yeah. I, and I would say the events of the past 652 days would, would even in, encourage that more so. Like, the, mm -hmm. the, this has really prepared us for that in a way. Yeah. I don't think we need to wait for the psychopaths to disappear because, um, you know, a lot of things looming on the horizon right now are really going to be forcing people to tap into their resourcefulness and just start thinking for themselves because the old things we've been relying on, I just don't count on them being around anymore, especially just trying to feed yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, guys. <laughs> How do we move forward, Bear? Yeah, what, what, yeah. What how do? do yeah, what's the plan, Bear? What do you got besides your uh, bunker shelter and your arsenal? <laughs> um, you know, people are always asking me where should I be. You know, where's a safe place? And I just say it's it's wherever you're called to be. You know, you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be at. It might be in the middle of a city. It might be out in the boonies. I'm here not because I'm afraid of anything. I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. So, uh, you know, the way uh, we go forward is every individual just tapping into that inner voice and, uh, you know, finding out where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. And we're all creating, uh, you know, uh, individually and you can only free yourself. You can't free anybody else. And what we're experiencing here is a lot of people are circling the wagons, uh, just uh, uh, remarkable people finding us and moving into the area and they've got skill sets and, you know, unlike the old communes of old, uh, you know, folks are just not here because they're needy or, or, you know, just trying to get a free ride. They're all just coming with, uh, you know, valuable insights and talents. And, and uh, so what you just said, as far as uh, small communities, it's, it's happening. And in my life, it's happening because we're just doing, you know, we're just following our own path and similar people find each other. So it's an organic process. It's already happening. I don't think we even have to figure anything out. I, I would agree with that, the, 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 the minimal planning. Uh, and I, I imagine there's going to be this, this, this kind of uh, um, relationship between uh, the, the homesteaders, the community folks, and then the people who go between the communities. Mm -hmm. And well, there'll be like a period of time, like, you know, maybe, uh, and that to me is, 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 is almost nostalgically refreshing. Mm -hmm. And, but what that would do in a way is it reestablishes a humanity which seemingly has been lost over the last 20 years mm -hmm. and a new relationship with the environment, like not necessarily in like a, 
eco care sort of way, but understanding where you are in spatial reality and how to identify, you know, how to move. I envision you as like a bard going between these communities, Michael. I would love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have this, this, um, I have a, a, like a passion to make bags. It's the weirdest thing. I'll show you one right now. So you see this right here. Um, this began as you can see, it says U.S. Mint quarters. This is a real U.S. Mint money bag, solid as can be. And then someone sent this to me. And then I just turned it into like usable, uh, usable drawstring bags. And I, I've got lots of them. And I like to keep my things. <laughs> and I have bags, which bags go in. And my, my, the question which I pose to myself, because I, I begin the question or begin the, the inquiry process with the perspective that there aren't mistakes, that I haven't made a mistake, that I didn't make the wrong choice, like all this sort of stuff. I, I begin with the perspective is like, how is this the right choice? How did this prepare me for what to come? So all that being said is like the only way the bags make sense is in the environment, which I just described to do that sort of stuff. Like, oh yeah, well that, that's why I was doing it, you know? And so, yeah. so yeah, I want that. I, that, that's the way I look at it. Well, in the end, it's all about having fun with whatever we, whatever we're up to. Um, I'm, I've always been a big fan of the stoic philosophy for, you know, uh, it's like uh, deal with the cards you're dealt and realize nobody gets out of this alive. And um, you have fun with it. That's how we always kind of lead the conversation here. It's like, if you're not, if, if you're spending all day prepping and worrying, then in the end, when it all goes down, sure, you're prepped, but you might be the only one around with all your cans of beans. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> enjoy them. Enjoy the damn day, you know. Um, so shout out to Marcus Aurelius. I, I always, I read a little bit of meditations, like almost every day. All right. Marcus Aurelius, because it always just grounds me back into that idea, right? It's like, yeah, um, enjoy the day. Enjoy the time is now, and that's kind of what our what our call tag for the event that uh, when I opened up the with this, the time is now, right now. So have fun I, with I, it. I I I I concur. I concur. Yeah. Well, Michael, so fun talking with you today, man. Uh, one of those uh, talks where I, I could go on for another few hours. Um, it, we, we didn't it feels even touch. Like we're just getting warmed up. Yeah. So uh, you are, uh, I hope you become a regular. We'd love to have you back on. Um, there's so much fun stuff to talk about. I really want to go more next time into the Susquehanna mysteries more dive in because one thing Baron I like to talk about is U.S. history, where we come from, um, founding fathers, all that lovely, rich stuff, which um, you, I know you love covering. So hmm. love to go. Right. I'm, I'm going to hit you with one two minute story before we before we wrap Beautiful. this one up, because I think this is fun. Did you give me screen share capabilities, by any chance? I will right now. All right. So. So part of it, in my opinion, this this whole sort of being in a body with feet under the, or feet on the earth and sky above is like figuring out what the hell is going on and how it works. Like that's the fun for me. And that's like the Francis Bacon thing. It's like part of being the king is discovering the treasure, finding the treasure. So 
it began, I told this story in the beginning about how I started looking into the Susquehanna River and because I came at it with a past of all of this like intrigue that I found myself in the midst of the intrigue. And you asked me for a biography and I really didn't send you one, but what I did send was Gonzo Researcher. And what I mean by that is I continually find myself involved in the story. It's not like I'm researching something separately. So I'm going to give you two more examples right now of, I mean, to the best of my, to the best of my, my knowledge, I'm the only cat who's been out there talking about the Susquehanna River. Like, and I started doing this a couple of years ago because one, who's really talking about rivers, then two, like the Susquehanna, unless you live in like the middle of no, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Scranton, maybe. To New York, you've never heard of the Susquehanna River. So as I began talking about on shows, like obviously like the consciousness of it as an entity. And that's one of these questions which I have is like, what is a, uh, what is a river question mark? So as I've been talking about it over the years, like more strange things have happened. So I'm gonna show you two things that have shown up and, and you know, we, we could go and write it off and be like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, timing or what have you. Or we could go and say like, what is the nature of reality? We're talking about all these weird things and now they're popping off in material reality. So the first right. thing which I wanna share came out, where am I gonna find this? This is a story. This came out. This is like a local, uh, a local blog. Can you see, yeah, you can see that right where it says yep. Universal York. We got so it. This is, just, this is a local blog. And it, this was from February 7th, 2021. And it's called Mystery Rock in the Susquehanna. Why would a large rock at the edge of the Susquehanna River have numbers and letters carved in it? I'm not talking about the petroglyphs of birds and animals left by the Native Americans. Um, William Halterman shared these photos of a boulder in the river in Lancaster County's East Donegal Township. Um, the site is just a little upstream from the foot of Vinegar Ferry Road near Marietta, Pennsylvania. So what I want to point out right now is where this location is, is very, very accessible. Where these rocks are, like people are fishing and, and, and boating around it all the time. And then just out of nowhere, this shows up on it. Like, look at the carvings of these, like, like this looks like it was like stamped in there by some sort of like fourth dimensional printer. Like when I see this, like, I don't have an answer for this. I'm just like, what the hell is that? And it's been tied back to a very specific um, Freemasonic order uh, called the Order of the Orange. But without like trying to go and demystify it with like, well, this is where it came from. This story just pops up. People have been coming here for like hundreds of years and no one's ever talked about this. So, so that seemingly <laughs> is this reinforcement of this mystery of the Susquehanna. Now, the other thing which I talk about a lot is the significance of the Herkimer diamond, which is a very, very unique quartz crystal, which is found just a short while from the, from the, from the source location of the Susquehanna river, about 10 miles away in what's Herkimer, New York. That's why they're called Herkimer diamonds. What makes a Herkimer diamond so unique is the fact that it is double, it is double terminated, meaning that there are points on both ends naturally. 99.99% of all quartz crystals grow single terminated. And then it also has a water clarity. So those two things make it a very, very rare stone, which is only found elsewhere. And because it's its uniqueness and its proximity to the Herc to the Susquehanna River, 
it is a it's a major telling point within my telling of the Susquehanna mystery. So so this just happened too. I just found out about this. And it is this rare find. This is from 2019. So the other story was 2021. They discovered in the Susquehanna River. This is in 2019. So like right when the whole event 201 was taking place, they found this very, very similar to Herkimer diamonds, but different in the Susquehanna River, like the same sort of mysterious stone just pops up. And so to me, to me, and this is how I kind of want to end it up, uh, end it, not necessarily to say that this is an indication of the mystery of life and how when we place our focus, like you get more and more of what you're placing your focus on. But I also want to say maybe that's exactly how it works, because this seems to be demonstrating that fact really, really well. This was a lot of fun. Bear, Mike, I appreciate <laughs> you guys having me on here. Uh, and I, I hope that this is not the only time. In fact, I hope that I'm able to come out to California and see your spectacular places face to face. Michael, um, just a blessing having you here today. And one of the more fun uh, podcasts we've ever done, I think. And uh, definitely need to have you back because there's so much more that I wanted to talk about and pick your brain about. So uh, let, let's let's do this. We'll keep in touch. And, uh, you know, you always have a place out here and uh, a lot of good, a lot of good wilderness to explore. I think you'll really like it out here. So you've always got a home. Yeah, we uh, we uh, we also live on a river. So uh, we live on the Smith River, funny enough. Going back I heard to you Smith. mention it, and I already was researching it in the beginning of the show. <laughs> Jedediah Smith. So uh, well, the famous it Jedediah. called the Hayuchi River, but yeah. uh, somebody uh, who came more recently decided to name it after himself. I take uh, a little exception with that myself. We have a wonderful place for you to stay either on my neck of the woods or out at the farm. Uh, and you're always welcome. And uh, I might have to look you up when I'm back East visiting family uh, yes, in yes. upstate um, because I used to go every summer. Uh, we have a little cottage on a little uh, lake in Pennsylvania on the other side of the border from Binghamton. And I love that area. It's just so, so much dense forest and, so much mystery over there and there, like there are a handful of old growth forests uh, uh plots of old growth forest in pennsylvania and so you definitely when you come back you want to go there before what the forest looked like before the timbering of mm -hmm. the 1700s because it's spectacular and the place where you indicated your your pond or the the lake is if it's near binghamton and if it's on the pennsylvania side it's very very close to the beginning of the the mormon story where they claim mm. that joseph smith was baptized in the water and they've got the, that's a very very magical and significant region so if you can make it back i would love to give you a personal tour and uh we could go and discover some of these mysteries ourselves oh I so would love, uh, michael I would love if i could share just like a very quick quick story Please. right <laughs> in the neck of the woods that you're describing there is uh, a story of George Washington uh, in his younger years. He was on horseback and lost, and then he found a cabin in those nearby woods. And, uh, you know, the lights and the fire were on. He went in, and he discovered this old man and his daughter that were there. And it's an amazing story. But by meeting with this special gentleman, this old man, he basically gave George Washington, who is purported also to be a Mason, right, 
uh, his vision as far as what he would, what role he would be playing in his future life and everything that transpired after. So, uh, and then this uh, old guy kind of mysteriously disappeared after that event. And um, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot going on in those backwoods. We should there. pick the next, whenever the next time I come back on, we pick up right there because I can run with that because I've got some real good stories which will fit in. Oh, good. That. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and maybe, have you ever been to Watkins Glen, by the way, Michael? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That place, like, yeah, I, I go there. All, I like to go there whenever I can. That's a magical place. You don't even realize you're in upstate New York. You feel like you're in Thailand or something. So, so okay, this is so we got to have a conversation about this. So, Watkins Glen <laughs> is on the is on the foot or on the bottom of Lake. I believe it's Lake Seneca of the Finger Lakes. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to understand what was going on there, everything from uh, from like a Iroquois nation sort of perspective, but then mm -hmm. even more so, um, I like to get into, I don't know if you know, Peter Shampoo and like Gaia Matrix and what he's mapped out and the significance of that area. And then you look at Cornell there and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Like that is such a key epicenter. Um, cool. So let, let, let's talk about that stuff the next time. Okay, Michael, thanks, thanks so much. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us on the chat. Really wonderful chat going on uh, in uh, both DLive and uh, YouTube. We even had uh, some on Odyssey. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll see you next week with Renette Seenum. Uh, I believe she's our guest. She's running for governor uh, as an, on an independent ticket against the Gruesome Newsome. So um, that'll be a really fun one. And uh, then we have Joel Salatin for a Christmas special who uh, is another wonderful storyteller, uh, America's most famous farmer. So, uh, hey, guys, uh, thanks again. Um, like we always end the show, get outside, get your feet in the dirt, uh, go plant something, go for a hike. Mother Nature is our greatest teacher. We love you, and we'll see you next week, and we'll see you at the event, alphabetic.com forward slash the event. Thanks, Michael. Oh, Michael, by the way, where can people find you? Um, what's the best website to go to? Sorry, and I'll put that in the show links below. SusquehannaAlchemy.com uh, and Susquehanna Alchemy YouTube channel. Um, from the website, you could send, uh, I've really brought that down. I've become very conscious with what I'm going to be putting on the internet uh, going forward. But if you want any sort of um, correspondence and or uh, personal sessions, hit me an email through that. Through that is, is probably the best way to do it. Wonderful. And um, I will put that in the show notes below. So, hey, guys, thanks so much. Uh, have a beautiful day. We'll see you next time. Love you. Cheers.